Hi, friends, and welcome to episode 15 of the Sports Psych MDs podcast. In this episode, doctors Trogio and Hose discuss what one NBA executive called the dirty little secret that everybody knows about sleep deprivation. They discuss why sleep is so important, especially for athletes, and the lengths that some of these athletes will go to ensure that they get good sleep. Because consistently poor sleep can not only increase your risk for both mental and medical illness, but it can also cause hormonal imbalances like decreasing your testosterone. Marijuana and alcohol are also definitely not good for your sleep, and at the very end, uh, Drs. Trojo and Hose will talk about what you can do to ensure that you get a restful night. Take it away. Do you feel me? me up before you go go yo did you, did you hear about the nba it has a dirty little secret do they know oh yeah so today's podcast is all about the nba's dirty little secret well i think it's everyone's dirty little secret Didn't actually we we, we 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 were saying that's what the eating disorder was about the dirty little secret that's not well it's not the nba's dirty little secret Uh-oh. well it's sleep none of us get enough sleep apparently especially yeah. not nba players this article, man, it, it just got dropped a few weeks ago on ESPN about this dirty little secret, essentially saying that NBA players don't get enough sleep, and due to that, they're at risk for injury and possibly at risk for shortened lifespans. Mm, yeah. How many hours of sleep do you get per night? It's variable. It really is, man. Like, I tell you what, honestly, I don't get enough sleep. I, I'd say there's a lot of nights I probably get like five or six that's not no. enough. No. That's not enough. Not. Eight to ten hours is what the sleep experts are saying. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. I mean, you know, we've all heard that. I mean, yeah, you, know. you hear that from day one, but is it realistic? That's one question. Is it realistic? And and also, is it only about the quantity? You know, is it, is it only about the number of hours in bed? No, I think there's more to it. You know, I think it's also about the quality. And based off this today, hopefully... It should be realistic and it should be prioritized. I think it's just not prioritized enough. But it's something that not only NBA players struggle with and not only all athletes struggle with, but Armin and I struggle with it. You guys listening probably struggle with it. Everyone struggles with it. Definitely, man. And the thing about sleep is it's, it's not just about getting rest for the sake of getting rest. There are a lot of things that happen during sleep. I mean, sleep is basically another form of consciousness as a lot of people don't realize is that it's not like you're just unconscious like knocked out you know like in a coma that's that that's a state of consciousness too or lack thereof sleep is in fact there's i mean there's things happening you know and very important things and it's not only that yeah you're knocked out and you're resting and you wake up replenished for that day and then you have to repeat the cycle it's actually helping you restore your body and your mind Absolutely. for longevity, not just for that next day, but for your life. And and we'll get into the nitty gritty with regards to sleep here in a bit. But you want to, you want to start off with a little bit about the NBA. Why is the NBA bringing this up yeah. exactly? Well, I mean, here's one thing we know about the NBA is that for years, it's trying to fit a ton of games into a relatively short space of time, right? So 82 games. Yeah. And there's these, these things called back-to-backs that yeah. players have complained about for years where, you know, they touch down in a city, let's say Los Angeles. You know, you got two teams here, and uh, you're liable to play one team one night, the next team the other night. You well, know, they're, they're lucky playing hey, back-to-backs in L.A. Well, yeah, for sure. But then guess what? There's Sacramento not too oh, far yeah. away, right? So maybe two days later, I'm up there, and then – Right across the way, you go, what, an hour west, and you're in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, so why not stop and, you know, and hit up the worst? It's that little West I Coast mean, road trip. You could have two back-to-backs in the same week. Yep, yep. And the NBA's getting better at this, but let me just break it down for you. So each team flies up to 50,000 miles per season. Just to give you perspective, that's 20,000 more miles than an NFL team will fly mm-hmm. during their season. And that's enough miles to circle the globe twice. That's that's pretty intense. It's crazy. So <laughs> NBA teams play every two point zero seven days and have thirteen back to back games throughout the year. 
and they fly an equivalent of 250 miles a day for 25 straight weeks. It's a rough life, man. It really <sighs> is. And when you're doing all that, one of the things that is probably going to be most disrupted, anybody that travels a lot knows this, is, is going to be your circadian rhythm. Oh, yeah. You and know? W- that we deal with that a lot when we work uh, with uh, night shift workers. Yeah. So yeah. Armin and I, we worked in the, the Veterans Administration, the VA. A lot of our patients are security guards working night shifts. And that for sure messes with your circadian rhythms. Hey, look, we were shift workers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we're two, here two in our weeks. residency. Oh, man, it was crazy. Yeah. We had to do that two weeks of night float uh, where we would work, what what was it, uh, it 5 was p.m. to 8 a.m. Yeah. For two weeks straight. Yep, that's crazy. That was rough. It was. It was. And, and in my first intern year back at Howard University, I remember for a whole, a whole month, for 30 days straight, I would go in at 7 p.m. and wouldn't leave oftentimes till, you know, 10 a.m., 11 a.m. the next day. Because mm-hmm. after my shift, I had to go and I had to do rounds oh, with, with, the, with the, the team that I was on call with. So it was crazy. And this would be six days on, one day off. Six days on, one day off, or six How, nights. How'd you feel after that rotation? Oh, man. I, I mean, I, I think I had to take like a two-week vacation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oftentimes, yeah, you run down. You're, and you run down. And we'll, we'll tell you a little bit of why. You mentioned circadian rhythms, just so you guys know. Our body has this natural rhythm to us, a natural flow, which is essentially ran by our pineal gland, uh, right. where melatonin starts getting secreted or produced when the sun goes down and then it peaks around 4 a.m. And that puts us to bed. So it's natural as humans for us to go to bed when it's dark outside. So anytime you have a job where you're working at night, you're going against human nature. And NBA, sometimes teams don't tip until 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. And they have to catch flights after that, sometimes cross-country flights. So you're you're getting finished with a game um, that may not end to like... 1, 2 a.m., and then you got to fly cross-country, and you may have another game that night. So they're shift workers, but they also face another huge deal, flying across these time zones. And that's another thing Arm and I have to deal with with our patients. We have to be cognizant of, because what what can flying across time zones do a lot of times? Jet lag, man. That jet lag, holy it's cow. crazy, yeah. Everyone's felt that. It's if real. If you've ever done a red eye or if you've flown cross-country. Yep. Hell, I went, uh, I'm going to Pittsburgh tomorrow and uh, night i'm taking a red eye i leave here at 10 30 i get to pittsburgh at 6 a.m no thank you i ain't no am thank I gonna you. S- sleep on that spirit flight Definitely <laughs> <laughs> no damn spirit yeah. flight <laughs> it catches up to you it does and the science is coming in out out now that you need that eight to ten solid hours in a row naps aren't cutting it and that's because we got these sta- you want to jump into the stages of sleep we got Let's these do it so stages of sleep that are important. Yeah. So yeah. Well, there's they are very important. There's there's two primary stages, right? There's REM and non-REM. Yeah. Right. And the most important. So there's stage one, two, and three, which is non-REM, and then the last stage is REM. But we're going to focus in on the deep, slow wave sleep and the REM sleep. Those are yeah. the two most important. So deep, slow wave yeah. sleep is like stage three. Yeah, and, and it's all going, or should, under normal conditions, normal circumstances, normal person. You're going to start stage one, mm-hmm. you know, stage two, stage three. It, it's, it's, it goes cyclical. You know, they don't skip steps. Yeah, it's it's skip usually stages. sequential. And cyclical throughout the night. Yeah. So it goes one, two, three, two, one, REM, one, two, three, two, one, REM, yeah. one, two, and three, each, two, one, REM. Each one of those cycles <laughs> is 90 minutes, yeah. so that you should have, like, what? four cycles of those per night. Yeah. Ideally. And the reason why stage three and REM are the most important because that's when your body and your mind recovers the most. And it just so happens you don't get into those stages of sleep until you've been asleep for a little while. And so stage three is your deep sleep. That's good for recovery, learning. Your brain starts changing. You, you It helps with your memory. It helps recalibrate your cardiovascular functioning. And it does this by kind of decreasing your heart rate. Mm -hmm. Just think of it as kind of resetting your heart. And it it kind of turns off your sympathetic nervous system. So it kind of puts you at ease. You're not not going to be in fight or flight when you're in your deep sleep. So if you ever get woken up out of deep sleep, you're going to feel exhausted, but you're not going to be in a sense of panic. Yeah. If you get woken up out of REM sleep, 
you're going to wake up maybe in a sense of panic because you that's when you're fired up. That's your you fired want to talk up. a little we'll bit about, about that? Yeah, definitely, man. And before I do the you know stage three, so sleep in general is a an anabolic predominant stage of of consciousness, right? So what does that mean? What I mean by that is you're going to be mostly building things up, right? Trying to sort of like rearm and retool. So you're you like need, creating proteins yeah. and different hormones and to so, refresh yourself. Exactly. And an and anabolic process is contrasted from a catabolic process. And that catabolic is what you need to be in when you're, you know, active and running. And, you know, you need to burn fuel, right? So rather than building up, you're trying to break things down. Your body's breaking things down. And growth hormone is a hormone that is released by the pituitary gland. That's going to be a predominant hormone in the body during sleep because growth hormone is all about building things up. It's all about growth. That's why it's called growth hormone. It's about tissue repair. Yeah, You're repairing yourself, and that's create, that's produced in stage three sleep, so you have to have that in order to grow. That's right. And then REM sleep is important for your memory consolidation. Mm-hmm. It's also important for kind of what I call it emotional first aid. Emotional allowed, regulation, that's yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. It allows you for better emotional rate regulation. So almost, <laughs> tell, I t- tell some of my patients this, that, I mean, well, I tell everyone, sleep is almost the, the best therapy I can give you or the best treatment you can give yourself, right? And in REM sleep, like I said, that's where you have your vivid dreaming. Yeah. dreaming. You'll remember, the, when you dream in REM sleep, those are the dreams you remember. Yeah, um, yeah. and REM, REM sleep is also important to think about when you think about conditions like PTSD, right? And PTSD, there's serious disturbances with sleep in general, mm-hmm. um, but particularly with REM sleep. In such a way that you know you have you know how we talked about that sequential order of the stages in PTSD that's not happening you know the 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 order gets very disrupted the REM experiences become much more intense and pervasive and you know folks with PTSD oftentimes talk about you know things like hyperarousal right and re-experiencing during sleep, you know, they're having these nightmares. That is a target of, of treatment. The REM sleep is a major target of treatment for PTSD. Yeah. And other things that's important about sleep, sleep blocks a hormone called ghrelin. And that's the that's hormone right. that stimulates hunger. So when you were working those night shifts, you ever know, you know you started getting hungry and you would just kind of feed yourself to stay, stay awake? Absolutely, man. So yeah. <laughs> there's a reason why we don't like wake up in the middle of the night starving. And there's a reason why we wake up after a full night's sleep and we're hungry is because you, you got that ghrelin that's being blocked. So you're, so you're not starving for food when you're sleeping. Um, sleep also regulates insulin levels. Everyone knows that insulin is important for your sugars. Anyone with diabetes knows that. And then cortisol levels, these peak right before we wake up and cortisol is important for stress response, immune response and metabolism. And we're going to get into cortisol a little bit more when we talk about this article about the National Basketball Association. That's right. So we, we've talked about this before, but the NBA, they're trying to do better when it comes to player health and wellness. That's a major focus of the NBA right now. And Dr. Parham is running with the NBPA, and they're coming up with initiatives to help with overall wellness. So that's why they're focusing on sleep as well, just so we talked about, because it's so integral to, for your overall wellness. So... What has the NBA done? So despite lengthening the schedule, and you know they lengthen the schedule to get more money in everyone's yeah. pockets, that's fine. They're trying to reduce back-to-backs, which they have done. They're reducing national televised games that tip off at 1030. Like we mentioned, but that means you can get to bed earlier. Mm-hmm. And they're, cr- they're trying to create more rest days. So they're, they're, they're slowly, they're working their way in. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people would be uh, surprised to, to know that it's not just about sleep. It's not just about getting rest and, you know, recovery and all that. Because you could say to yourself, well, I mean, <clears throat> hey, you know, maybe you have some guys that are, they're young, they're virile, they're healthy, you know, they're at the top of their game. Maybe they just don't need as much time to recover. Well, here's the thing. Um, you know, sleep is something that is critical and vital not just for you know its its physical benefits but it's also something that when you don't have it 
uh, for a long period of time and it becomes a chronic issue, you put yourself at risk for a lot of other types of medical comorbidities, right? Depression, anxiety, yep. you know, these kinds of things that we've talked Substance about. Substance use. No doubt, right? Um, a lot of these things that we've talked about through and through our various podcasts. Psychosis? Are, are, Suicide? Yeah. You want me to keep going? You can keep going. Dementia? And, and there's a bi-directional relationship between, between these things. There's a bi-directional Heart relationship disease, between diabetes, these things. obesity, yeah. heart attacks, Alzheimer's. And bi-directional, meaning lack of sleep, you know, a disordered sleep can lead to depression and anxiety. And depression and anxiety definitely cause disturbances in sleep. Yeah. Bi-directional. Um, I would say, and in, in this is not hyperbole, I've definitely seen thousands of patients in my career, and I can't think of a single one that didn't have at some point along the way a problem with their sleep. And I'll second that. And we've seen thousands of patients, and, and sleep is always an issue, and it's something that always has to be addressed because if you address that issue, you can improve upon something else that's going on in their life. Not to mention lack of sleep, traveling different time zones, working night shifts can trigger someone to go into mania or hypomania That's right. and it's not good for bipolar. So I want to talk a little bit about Matthew Walker. He's, he's kind of this new guru. Some of you guys may have heard him on the Joe Rogan podcast. He's a professor of neuroscience and psychology at Cal Berkeley, actually. And he w- he's the founder and director of its Center for Human Sleep Science. So he's looked through 10,000 different empirical studies on sleep. And he saw that the number of people who can survive on six hours of sleep or less without showing any impairment rounded to the whole number and expressed as a percent of the population is zero. So everyone has that buddy that says, oh, I only sleep four or five hours and I'm fine. Well, you may feel fine, but if you were to test yourself with five hours sleep versus nine, you're going to show impairments, maybe slight, with only five hours of sleep. You're going to perform optimally with eight hours. However, there is that there is a gene mutation called ADRB1, and it's linked with heightened wakefulness and less sleep necessity. But Less than one oh, yeah. percent. Less than one percent of the population has this. I feel like I know people like so this. So maybe the Rock. Right. <laughs> yeah, people like that. But less than one percent. It's not your your buddy doesn't have it most likely. So most of us, for most of us, we need a minimum of eight hours of sleep, eight to ten. Roger that. And uh, you know there there are other consequences uh, besides the stuff that we mentioned earlier. As, as if that weren't enough. But some of these things are real challenges, all right? Let's talk about the decrease in testosterone. Oh, gosh. Right? Let's talk about this, all right? Testosterone, as we know, that's kind of the, the hormone that corresponds to maleness, yeah. right? Why, would you, um, why do you think, in general, people like watching the NBA versus the WNBA? Besides bias. You don't want to get into that? <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to touch that one, though. I would just put um, it to t- testosterone. <laughs> yeah. But everyone knows how vital testosterone is to athletes. People get tested in like UFC for TRT or testosterone replacement therapy. Everyone's seen who has watched like UFC. I'm a big UFC guy. Uh, Vitor Belfort. TRT Vitor, they call him, where he literally looks juiced to the gills. And he's like head kicking people, knocking people out. Or Uberim. Um, people who watch UFC know what I'm talking about. So bear with me, Armin. So testosterone can increase muscle mass. It's good for recovery. It essentially is pivotal to being an athlete. Testosterone is vital. And it, it does have an influence on things like speed, strength, muscle mass, and your mood, right? So it, it's really important. Well, that's one thing we have to deal with, too. Sometimes we get these guys that are taking testosterone replacements, and we got to be careful for a side effect would be increased irritability. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, that's why they think maybe the male sex is more aggressive. It's because of testosterone, physically aggressive. But see, here's the thing. I mean, women have testosterone too. And speaking of WNBA, they definitely have muscle mass. All right. They need speed. They need strength. So they care about (laughs) testosterone too. Of course. So studies have already shown that sleeping about five hours a night for one week temporarily lowers 
testosterone in men by an equivalent of 11 years of aging. So if you take Armin and I, Armin and I are young, nubile, 30-year-old men in our 30s, and you look at our testosterone, it's going to be a lot higher than if you were to measure a 60-year-old's testosterone. Armin and I were a little getting up there in age if we were playing in the NBA. How old's LeBron? 34. Okay, so he's in our ballpark. Yeah. So our testosterone ideally should be at the same level as LeBron. Although, if you look at this study, he, he looked at baseline testosterone levels of NBA players, and they were in the 88th percentile. Okay, of, that's pretty good. Of same-age individuals. Armin and I, I mean, I, high testosterone runs in my family. Um, but... <laughs> Oh, the Italian blood, super, the Sicilian, yeah, exactly. Sicilian blood, Godfather, <laughs> Godfather genes, right? <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, someone that's LeBron's age or our age, the testosterone is going to be higher than someone that's sixty years old. So, aging us by eleven years old, that's a that seems like a huge difference. That sucks. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah. There's a lot of missed opportunities there. We still got a virility, so that's good. No, I mean, listen, yeah, I mean, testosterone is important for libido, it's important for, you know, desire and, and for erection and all this stuff. So Outside of, like, athletic pursuits, yeah, it's kind of an athletic pursuit. All about perspective. Exactly. But it's all about performance, right? It Imagine is. you're... At you're, the end of the day. You're getting just three less hours of sleep per night, but you're, it's aging you 11 years, essentially, right. with regards to the one hormone in your body that's responsible for muscle mass, speed, and strength. That's right, yeah. And all you're really sacrificing is, what, like one extra hour of the club, right? Get out of the club. Go back home, get in your bed, you know, like get those blackout curtains, make sure they're closed, make sure the TV's off. In fact, take it out of your room if you can. Right? Oh, you want to jump into sleep hygiene? Let's do it. So any sort of significant treatment program for disordered sleep has to start with sleep hygiene. Let me right? hear your sleep hygiene uh, spiel. The way I look at sleep hygiene is, you know, whatever space you call your bed, you want to have all things associated with that space, associated only with sleep, right? Only with the things that are going to help you sleep more effectively. There's right? one exception. We'll talk about the exceptions. But that's kind of you know the general rule, right? So we talked earlier. You spoke eloquently about the hormone melatonin, you know, and how it responds to light and dark, how it is released into the bloodstream during darkness, and then it starts to decrease in in volume when you know the sun starts to come out at dawn. Um, now you know this is the circadian rhythm. If melatonin and sleep is regulated by light, right, then obviously having excessive light is going to disrupt the process, right? So one of the first things we tell you to do in sleep hygiene is try to get rid of as much light as you can, if not all light entirely. That's going to screw with the circadian rhythm. That's going to screw with the production of melatonin. Now, a lot of people, the you know, first question is, well, what about my alarm clock? You know, what about my phone? You know, what about... All of it, <laughs> okay? If, if any sort of light can be disruptive. Fortunately, nowadays, there are, like, I think iPhone has, like, a special type they of... got night mode. Night mode, yeah, things like that. There, You know, people are catching on to this, but you know, I would say as a general rule to try to get, get rid of as much light as possible. Next, sound. So blackout curtains, you turn off your electronics before yeah. bed. Uh, Tom Brady, I know, goes to the extreme where he doesn't even have any electronics in his room. No little, you right. know, that little light on your on your TV, that little red dot. Not even that. Unplug it. You, do, you yeah. don't even want that. You don't need it. LeBron James in this article says that he shuts off all nearby electronics thirty to forty five minutes before he settles into bed, and he has a sleep app on his phone that serades him with soothing sounds of rain falling on leaves. Right. So he goes to the next level because soothing sounds is associated with relaxation which is going to help facilitate mm -hmm. sleep. But I want to be specific because there are blue lights that are emitted from our laptops, our iPads, our iPhones, our TV screens. Those are going deep down in our brains. And deep they're down. inhibiting the melatonin, therefore keeping us awake. Not only that, but you're, you're getting uh, stimulated by whatever you're watching on TV. 
I'm getting stimulated by staying up to watch the damn Clippers play at 1 a.m. That's right, man. That's right. You, I mean, you might as well be in REM, so, right? So get those blackout curtains, shut off all those electronics. Don't have your phone plugged in next to your bedside. That's right. Yeah. Um, and let's also talk about sound. Um, sound, much like light, is another irritant to sleep. You want to, if you can, maybe get, I mean, get earplugs, you know, whatever you got to do. Just Some people to, like that like monotonous, like pulsing headphones people do. LeBron white does noise. The, yeah, yeah, LeBron does like the that. rain falling on the leaves. Figure out what works for you. But the light is definitely important. And then having that bedtime ritual. So maybe take a hot bath, drink a warm glass of milk, and um, yeah. just settle and read a nice book by candlelight. Consistency is key. Yes, that's the, okay. that's the biggest and best key. thing. So that means you want to try to get in bed around the same time every night and you know, want to wake up around the same time every morning. Right? And, mm-hmm. and, and most importantly, though, you want to wake up around the same time, right? Like no matter what time, sometimes you can't control what, when you're going to bed. You, know, you have something going on. You, know, you, you get in late. It is what it is. But make sure you, he said ritual earlier, Make sure you make it a ritual. Get up around the same time every morning. You're, again, training your mind on the right habits, the right things yeah. to do. And the hardest part about that is if you go to bed later than you wanted to and you don't get those eight hours, you still wake up early. You stay up the entire day. You don't take a nap because if you take a nap, that means you're not going to be tired when it's time to go to bed. So you stay up early, and then you're gonna, by the time it's time for you to get to bed by, what, 10 p.m., you're exhausted and you fall right to sleep. And before you said, during during that time to kind of tone down, maybe do some relaxation techniques. Do a little grounding, a little meditation, a little deep breathing. Get yourself in that mood and then have that stimulus control. Shut out that light, shut out that noise, shut out the distractions and get to bed. And once you're in bed, stay in bed and fall. Stay. No, don't stay in bed. You don't go to bed until you're tired. And if you don't fall asleep within 20 minutes, get up out of bed, read a book, do something relaxing, get back in bed. Only be in bed Reset. when you're tired and can fall asleep. Reset, that's and, right. And that one in exception is sex. Sleep and sex. Will allow you to have sex in your bed. Sleep and sex, right? That's, that's the rule. The bedroom, the bedroom space is all about sleep and sex. Mm-hmm. All right? And if you can remember that, you, you got this. Well, yo, Doc, Doc, Doc Hose, Dr. Hose, what about like my alcohol, my nightcap? That's part of my routine. Oh, is that man. good? Is that, alcohol, it knocks me out. I got great sleep alcohol efficiency. Alcohol is like the worst thing you can do. How come? It knocks me out, dude. Mm. It, it will do that. Jim for Bean, sure. dude, three shots. But we talked earlier about this sequential rhythm that has to happen in order to get those four cycles of REM and non REM sleep, right? And hopefully we get, you know, our full complement of stage three, you know, which is the deep restorative part of sleep, right? That's what we really want. And when you're drunk or high, frankly, you know, yeah, on drugs. Marijuana not, and alcohol. You know, it's not going to happen. One of the things that's going to happen is, is alcohol early onset REM or is it just more like fragmented REM? It fragments the REM. It, frag- yeah. it fragments the deep sleep, so you don't get as much deep sleep or REM sleep, and then you get rebound REM sleep later. Yeah, I don't. It's not getting the ditty gritty. Let's just say you don't get as much deep sleep and you don't get as much REM sleep, and those two stages are the most important for your sleep. Mm-hmm. You just get you go into that like stage two. Yeah, and we've not- all we we all know what it's like to wake up right and feel like totally unrefreshed, yeah. almost like we didn't go to sleep at all. But here's the thing: sometimes you can kind of flutter be in one and two and dip into three and, and dip into REM a little bit, but you're not getting the adequate REM or stage three and you wake up, sometimes you do f- feel refreshed, but guess what? It's working behind the scenes. You didn't get as much REM as you needed. You didn't get as much deep sleep as you needed. And even though you maybe felt refreshed that one day, it's going to catch up to you. And maybe that doesn't look like anything until you turn like 65 and you have Alzheimer's or you have a cancer. So just be cognizant of that. Just because you're getting knocked out by marijuana or alcohol or benzos, all three of those affect and fragment your deep sleep, your restorative sleep, and your REM sleep. That's maybe why you have a little bit of memory problems or delayed recall oh, yeah. or word-finding difficulties from the marijuana. Not just because it actually does that when you're high, but it's also freaking your sleep up. That's right. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of players have been 
open and, and vocal. Well, bef- before we get into players, let's talk okay. a little bit about Timmy Royer. Tim Royer, he's talked about in the article. He's a neuropsychologist and an athlete performance specialist who's worked with the NBA team, Orlando Magic. Many of you might na- not know the Orlando Magic ever since uh, Shaq hasn't played for them or Penny Hardaway because they've kind of been irrelevant. I guess they had that one year with Dwight Howard that was decent and Rashard Lewis and Hito Turkoglu. Yeah, they're a finals team. They took out your boy LeBron. Sure. Um, Dwight Howard, huh? He looks like a surfer. Resurrection. Looks like a surfer yoga boy now. Anyways, so he followed these guys. He followed a set of NBA guys from the beginning of the season to the end, and he noticed what? Testosterone went down. Cortisol was all off. And cortisol, we mentioned a little bit, that helps combat stress. So if that's off, you're not dealing with stress as well, and your body's actually overtly stressed. And we know, everyone knows that. Yeah, everyone knows (laughs) stress can mess with performance yes, and mess can. with your overall health. Yep. He noted this, but everyone notes it. Sleep loss leads to a decline in physical performance, duh, but also hand-eye coordination and attention span. That'd be pretty important, right? Yeah. Like quarterbacks and pitchers and, I mean, really so, just about every athlete. So someone asked me, like, well, maybe it's just because these, these, these athletes are playing a grueling schedule, 82 games in six months. Maybe that's why they're, they're showing these deteriorations in cortisol and testosterone. No, he also looked at just staff members who traveled with the team, and they also showed the same decreases Uh-oh. and changes in testosterone and cortisol. Wow. So it had had to do with the travel and the lack of sleep. Blame it on the alcohol. Yeah, and oh, you mentioned like the club one hour early. This article also links to the article, the tenderization of the NBA. Meaning, oh, oh, don't go of, there. Not a lot of these Let's guys go need to go out to the club anymore. <laughs> club comes to them. Anyways, yeah, I like a good this. Thing. They, a good thing. I wish I had this myself, but I'm going to use it now. If deep sleep is like cash in a wallet, REM sleep is like a retirement fund. I love it. Yeah. In such a grinding schedule with so much sleep debt, the players were all but bankrupt. <laughs> You took it a little too far with that, but I like yeah, that. Yeah, I had him for a minute there. I was like, I was, I was with him, but then yeah. he sort of went, yeah. Anyway, so. You want to talk about these players? Let's talk about them. So, Sounds like a few guys have legs up on the others. No, they do. Some of these guys have actually shared their secrets on how they get through these grueling seasons, like NBA, NBA seasons, all the back-to-backs and all this. Um, Tobias Harris. Tobias, former Tennessee volunteer. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, now with the Philadelphia 76ers. Just signed a with fat contract. The Clippers, yeah. Fat contract. He's playing well so far. So what his deal is on off days, he'll make sure that he's done with everything by 6 in the evening. So he's in bed by 8.30 every night. All right. And this is to achieve his nightly goal of nine hours. All right, so he takes this very seriously, this eight to 10 hour thing you're talking about. Nine hours of sleep, he's doing way better than me. Uh, on game nights, he kickstarts his recovery as soon as the buzzer sounds. At his locker, he'll strap like a breathing belt around his waist. Uh, he'll slip a heart rate monitor onto his index finger, all right? So he's actually like recording his activity. Right. You should get like a pulse ox or something. It's, it's crazy, yeah. The reason why he monitors his heart rate and his breathing is because he knows that after playing a full game of basketball, that threw his cortisol all out of whack. Because when you do intense physical activity, that messes with your cortisol. That also decreases your melatonin. So he's trying to get that back regulated. And the best thing you can do is to, to lower your heart rate is to control your breathing. That's one yes, thing yeah. we, we all know. And I teach this to a lot of my, the people I, I interact with who have anxiety or have trouble with those those panic symptoms, the one way you can control that fight-or-flight response, the only control you have over it really is controlled breathing. If you take deep breaths, you can lower your heart rate, essentially, and that can calm can. down the shakiness, the sweatiness, that cortisol. Yeah, and if you've ever taken like yoga or you've ever done like mindful meditation, they always say focus on your breathing, focus on your breathing. I don't know if any of you out there often do this, but... I mean, sometimes if you just kind of sit back and and pay attention, sometimes you're not really breathing as deeply as you could. Oftentimes when we're stressed out, our, our breathing is more shallow. Sometimes some people even kind of hold their breath a little bit, 
without even realizing it. Mm -hmm. And holding your breath in and of itself, something that can contribute to the development of anxiety because you're, you're sort of depriving your, your brain, yeah. you know, of a little bit of oxygen. Yeah, it's that fight or flight that our brain like primarily goes to when it feels, that's what anxiety is. Your, your body goes into this fight or flight. And the one way to kind of trick your body back into saying, okay, I'm okay, is controlling your breathing. Because when your breathing's erratic, that, that just kind of feeds into this, oh, I'm tensed up, I'm sweating, I'm nervous, my heart's racing. No, control your breathing. You kind of trick your body into being like, okay, I'm not, there's no lion attacking me. There's not a fire. I'm okay. I can calm down. I don't need to fight or flight or freeze. Yeah. So control your breathing. Control That's your breathing. Huge. Yeah, control your breathing. So control. So breathing is, uh, as most of us should know, it's an involuntary process, right? So it's going to happen whether you think about it or not. Ooh, right? what, you know what I found out recently? Dolphins. They have complete control of their breathing. That's how dolphins commit suicide. They wow. don't breathe. That is so interesting. Like yeah. if we try to hold our breath, which we can, at a certain point, our primal instincts take over. Yeah. And our we breathe. reflex takes over. Exactly. Yeah. We, we, so it's, it's a more involuntary than it is voluntary. But when we do take control, you said take control. We do take control of it and we sort of allow it to work for us, you know, in, in the way that we need it. It can be very relaxing, but it, I mean, it's, it's like treatment and therapy in and of itself. You know, it just, it feels good. You know, it makes you feel better. It, it kind of makes you feel alive. Really, when, when you, you know, you're kind of feeling stressed out, I mean, and, you know, you, and you start taking deep breaths, controlling your breathing, you know, really trying to, to slow the pace of things. It gives you a sense of, as you say, control and yeah. confidence. It makes you, you know, it makes you feel yeah, better. Yeah, so it tricks your body and it's a grounding technique. It puts you in the here and now, so it also controls your mind. Yeah, it does. But I don't sure. know about this other thing that Tobias does. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, so uh, he carries with him uh, an EEG monitor, okay? It's a device that can examine the electrical activity of the brain, right? And the electrical activity of the brain is measured in hertz, which is a unit of frequency, and we have these different frequencies, these different levels of frequency that our brain functions within. So higher frequencies corresponds to more wakefulness, more activity. You know, you need to focus and concentrate. Your brain is going to be functioning at a, at a higher frequency. And conversely, in states of sleep, you know, or unconsciousness is going to be lower frequency states. And what uh, Tobias Harris has done, apparently, is he's taken this uh, neurofeedback, biofeedback technology to a whole different level. And he actually uses these devices to monitor his brain activity, and he tries to get in sync with the lower frequencies, the frequencies associated with higher states of relaxation, which again are at lower frequency states, alpha waves, and you know so forth. So he's doing that during his training just to to not throw his body out of whack, essentially. It, yeah. It, we, it people, it's very complicated. This has been studied in ADHD, although there hasn't been a lot of good studies, quite frankly, but people use it to treat ADHD to, to have kids focus better. Um, and a simple way of thinking biofeedback is someone who has social anxiety, they go into, they're about to give a speech, they notice their heart rate spikes to 120. You have a heart rate monitor. You look, you look at your Apple Watch. Oh, my heart rate's 120. Let me take 10 deep breaths. You take 10 deep breaths. You look at your heart rate again, and it's down to like 100. It's dropped like 20 points because of the deep breathing. That You're getting feedback from your body. You're looking at it, and you're acting accordingly to kind of calm yourself down. Yes. Um, why yes. don't you talk about what else the king, the former king, LeBron James, does? Well, LeBron, it's well documented, actually, that apparently he spends... Seven figures. That, is that so? At least a million, a million dollars on his overall health and fitness and wellness regimen. Does he have one of those hyperbaric chambers? He has a hyper. Yeah, I, he has a hyperbaric chamber. Um, he has this like very sophisticated meal plan. He has you know all the the best trainers, the the best staff, uh, the best equipment, the best of everything, and it's all very regimented, ritual. As, as you mentioned earlier, ritual. Well, you know, part of this does involve sleep, a, a very strict 
regimen when it comes to sleep. When he's on the road, his hotel rooms are set to 68 to 70 degrees. So he's got someone, someone in the staff goes there and sets, his, sets him up. So he has the right temperature. All electronics are shut off 30 to 45 minutes before he settles into bed. I think he's got good sleep hygiene. Yeah, he got good sleep hygiene. And um, he's got that white and noise. And then he also, I think you said this earlier about a sleep app. He has a sleep app on his phone that serenades him with, as you said, soothing with his, sounds. Like his, his own highlights. Of what? His own highlights, like Marv Albert <laughs> calling, calling some of his games. Whatever, man. Yeah. <laughs> some, well, of his, some of his own clips At least those shop. would be pleasant, right? I mean, he has a lot of wins, a lot of victories in there, so why he listen to some of his uh, press conferences? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and there's Andre Iguodala, who is uh, probably best known from his performance in the 2015 NBA Finals you know, where he earned MVP honors. What about when LeBron had that chase down block on him in the, well, in the following yeah, forget that. finals? But yeah, Iggy, is, as some people call him, he actually works with a sleep specialist. He, he has a guy uh, or gal that he works with directly, and they have their own little ritual. One thing in particular, he avoids long naps because he doesn't want that to to sap his overnight sleep. He keeps his phone on airplane mode, and his TV is always off. Stimulus control. And uh, another relatively well-known basketball player, Kent Bazemore. Kent Bazemore. He's apparently a big proponent of blackout curtains. Yeah, he's a new Portland Trailblazer. Yes, he is. Is there a lot of sun out there? He may not need those blackout curtains. Who knows? Probably not. But these guys are spending so much money because it's it's the real deal. But just think about this. Imagine, like, it's hard enough to get adequate sleep in your own bed. But we didn't even mention having to sleep in different random hotel rooms. You know, that's something I didn't appreciate, you know, until we looked into this. You know, these guys are on the road, I mean, half the season... You know, so that's like three months out of the year. You think they still get the groupies knocking at their doors? Oh, come on, man. Tinderization, right? Yeah. <laughs> of course, it's all about the groupies. But the t- no, Tinderization makes it's it's perfect. I mean, I, I, I we could call it, you know, part of, you know, the sleep hygiene ritual. Yeah. But you know. think about this, too. One of the main things we said was consistency. That's thrown out the window with these NBA guys. I know. I mean, and the Major League Baseball guys and NFL guys. Like, how can you be consistent when you're on well, the road? Well, when you're they're flying? consistently inconsistent. <laughs> what right? is that, AFib? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so they're whatever. I mean, here's the thing it's never going to be 100%. You know, none of us are ever going to be 100% great sleepers all day, every day. You know, we're not going to get like 10 hours every night under the perfect temperature in the perfect amount of light mm-hmm. or like and the thereof, perfect like the position perfect with the perfect amount pillow. of sound yeah so but we, we try to do the best that we can right with what we've got i mean if i'm you know paying me a couple million dollars to do this thing the least i can do you know invest in a, a few different things to help me sleep better because i know that's going to help me avoid fatigue and it's going to help me perform at my peak and at the end of the day that's what it's all about yeah i mean armin and i like we mentioned earlier, all our patients, everyone we come into contact with has issues with sleep. So what do we do? We do what we just said. But if that doesn't work, we do have medications we can give. We don't like to give them. <laughs> we don't want to have to do sleep. it to you. Yeah, we don't like giving sleepers. <laughs> I mean, melatonin. I actually kind of like giving medicine a little bit. But um, I'm talking about mad for, scientists. You like, like giving them like, for yes, sleep? No, of course sleep? not. I, I, of course not. Melatonin is huge, I think. I would love it if, if no one ever had to do anything to treat I wish disease never even was a thing I wish but it is (laughs) okay it is a thing it's a thing and thank God that we have good treatment for it thank God we have good treatment for sleep sleep is the one thing we we do okay with what do you what do you got what what are are your go-to sleepers um we're talking short term that allow someone to maybe jump start their, uh, their no, journey no, I into got good you. sleep. I got you. I got you. Well, like we said before, and can't neglect this, it starts with sleep hygiene. It starts with teaching and making sure that, you know, next step is a medical workup, right? Because you don't know if there is some underlying physiological condition that's causing them to have these problems. Obstructive sleep apnea is 
pretty prevalent. You know, everyone knows that person that saw logs in the middle of the night. Yeah, because you know it could be any of those things. So we rule out those medical causes. We do the labs, you know, do the workup, and then we realize, okay, we have a few options left. It's most likely psychiatric. Let's get in there. I think, like with most instances, it is going to depend on the patient, right? Their medical background, their comorbidities, and their unique needs. But probably my number one is going to be probably gabapentin. But gabapentin, I think, for insomnia, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's, it's awesome. I, I like those medicines where you get high yield with little downside, low downside. Yeah, I like that because there's a lot of flexibility to that one with regards to dosing. And it's more for like that sleep initiation. It's not going to really leave you groggy in the morning. Exactly. You can yeah. take a little bit during the day to help with anxiety too. Yeah. And you know it's it's actually for neuralgia. Yeah, neuropathies and you know chronic yeah. pain and stuff like that. Yeah, I like gabapentin. Um, I think mirtazapine's a good one. Remeron. Which has been solid. Is a brand name. I like that That'll one. That'll knock you out for some people. It will. The way that one works, it's mostly an antihistamine when it comes to causing you to be drowsy, which is what Benadryl is and hydroxyzine is. Where Tazbean has some other things in there that make it a little bit more sustainable and effective than like a Benadryl. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a partial agonist of the serotonin receptor. In the child and adolescent realm, we always melatonin. We always start with that melatonin because is good, good. that's already produced in our bodies. We we already talked about it. Um, and then if that doesn't work, a little Benadryl here and there is usually gentle enough. And then trazodone, mm-hmm. but like you said, gabapentin. I'm, I'm liking that one. Try to stay away from the ambience. Yeah, I mean ambient. It's effective, but it it, it can be habit forming, and you can build a tolerance to it. And you need more and more, and it's. It's hard because something like Ambien can work really well. So a lot of these can work really well, and you would just want to take it every single night. But I always educate people. It's like every, if you're taking it every night, you're going to need more and more of it, and eventually it's not going to work for you. So use it sparingly and focus on all the sleep hygiene and all the different stressors. You can use the medication in the interim while you get everything else figured out. Then you can kind of slowly get yourself off the medication mm-hmm. and regulate the sleep. But some people need the sleepers for a while. They do, yeah. Doxepin's another one that Ooh, that's old school. you know uh, it's old school. It's kind of like third string. Yeah, um, you know I, I, you can get at low doses. You can get some pretty good benefit out of doxepin. Hydroxy. Yeah, we mentioned hydroxine already. Yeah, um, and wh- while we're at it, since we're having the conversation, we might as well just put it out there. Like benzodiazepine medicines, the medicines like Xanax, Clonopin, um, Restoril, Ativan, all that stuff. Um, that stuff is... Those Santa Ana winds getting to you, huh? Very disreal. Yeah, Armin's got bad. a little bit of a cold route here in uh, West Los Angeles. There's fires about a mile north of us in Getty. Got these Santa Ana winds coming strong. <laughs> so the sniffles. Yeah, stuff like Ativan, all that good stuff, man. It's actually very disruptive to sleep. You know, a lot of people, you know, consider these agents to be, you know, their go-to. And I'm not going to say... You know, they're not going to knock you out. They could definitely it's do that. Just like alcohol. Yeah. But they're just like alcohol. Exactly. They focus on quantity, but not quality of sleep. You know, you may be in bed six, seven, eight, nine hours straight uh, without waking up if you take a reasonable dose of a benzodiazepine medicine. But in terms of the quality of sleep related to those stages mm-hmm. that we mentioned, the appropriate synchronization and cycle and the you know, right amount of time in each stage and number of cycles. Mm-hmm. All those things have to play in in order for you to feel refreshed when you wake up and to have all of the benefits that sleep can provide. Benzos in the short term may be fine, but long term, after a while, that that lack of deep sleep and lack of REM sleep is going to catch up to you, and it could lead to all these different medical problems. It could lead to a, a shortened lifespan, quite frankly. So we like to avoid the benzos as much as possible. I think we'd be remiss not to talk about the new age CBD oil that everyone's using for sleep. Absolutely. Jury's still out. 
Yeah. We don't. We, there hasn't been the studies to see what how it affects the. Maybe test it on your dog. The sleep waves. Yeah, it's text on the dog. I mean, I've taken it before. It's nice and relaxing, and it can it can put you out. But jury's still out with regards to how it really affects that deep sleep. That no, I, I actually, REM sleep. Yeah, it, it, the jury's still on it, but there's there's um I say a fair amount of anecdotal support for it for sure. You know, a lot of people talk about it. A lot of people are into CBD. You know, I think. Where I stand on these things is interrupt your own risk. Yeah. Um, you know, if if it works for you, great. But definitely read up on it. You know, definitely look into it and, you know, make sure it makes sense for what you're doing and um, you know, just be careful. Yeah, I think at, at, the, at the end of the day, there's no shame in taking something to help you with sleep. But like what we talked about, sleep hygiene is number one. Um, everyone's a little different. You'll find something that works for you. Just be, but be cognizant of if the science isn't out there yet. There could be long-term effects that you're really not noticing. What we do know: alcohol's not no good. Benzos are no good. Uh, marijuana, not so good. Um, Ambien, not so good in the long term. Melatonin, mm, yeah. it's already in your body, but it's, it's, that doesn't knock people out enough. Yeah, it's not going to tranquilize. All right. Yeah. I'm starting to get a little tired, man. So, uh, yeah. So, if you're struggling with sleep, my, my advice would be to you know go in to see your primary doctor and you know have a conversation about it. There there are ways of diagnosing many sleep related conditions via a test called a polysomnography study, or also known as a sleep study. And with a sleep study, ultimately they would ideally want to bring you in to like a, you know, a monitored setting, you know, hook you up to all the different devices and so they can monitor all your activity, they even hook you up to a video and, and they're going to watch you during sleep. They're not going to watch you, <laughs> literally watch you, but they're going to f- film the process in conjunction with measuring all this data and then they're going to analyze that data. Yeah, because that's helpful for sleep apnea and it's not only like the large obese person who's snoring that can have sleep apnea there's central sleep apnea it could be someone who's skinny and fit who maybe has obstructive sleep apnea from like a jaw issue or has central sleep apnea from like neurological issue so yeah i mean there's all kinds of stuff out there man there's uh like REM sleep behavior disorder yeah Restless leg there's syndrome, restless narcolepsy. Leg syndrome, narcolepsy you know night terrors kind of stuff yeah sleepwalking yeah, man. And, so. and and there's, you know, a lot of the, the studies, a lot of the data is new, it's fresh. It's an evolving field. There's still a lot left to learn. But there's one thing we do know in that it is absolutely vital to success and performance and something that as an athlete and frankly, you know, as a regular Jack and Jill out here, man, you got to take it seriously. Yeah. Sleep yeah. hygiene. Get ahead of it. Sleep hygiene. Get Sleep ahead. and sex. Sleep and sex. All right. Get it Until in. Until next time, let's end the stigma. Let's continue the conversation.